Welcome and thank you for clicking on this episode. For those new to the podcast, we aim to entertain, inform and inspire you to do more with your passion for cars. I started off having failed to get into apprenticeships and looking for other ways to explore my love for cars have been my mission ever since. I start this podcast as a way to speak to people that I find to be inspiring and to learn from them and how they got to where they are today. The journey they've been on personally and professionally will hopefully help me and help you learn more about the automotive and motorsport industries and speaking about learning more and more. Today's guest is all about going into the minor details to create something I think is a world's first and to be done by only himself with no help from anyone else is massively impressive. This guest has featured in publications by Haggerty, High Performance Academy, and even Top Gear. And if you're wondering what he could be up to, here is a slight hint. Half a millimeter or a millimeter, it's going to fail. And that's just the reality of it. Has Honda had a say? They contacted you have to cease, or do they love you? Do you have any sort of indication? Uh, They know about me. And... Lots of comments. And I've reached out to Honda directly, like, hey, ghost, silence, nothing. Experience it the way I want it, but I still want to experience it with other people. And I will support them and help them. I'll do that. I'll make it happen. Like, everybody has something that they love. And I don't care what it is. And you might be into cats or whatever. That's great. Just do what you love. As somebody with limited mobility and limited some of my choices, I I think you should enjoy whatever it is that you love, however you love it. Yeah. Amazing. And I love driving. I love driving. It's just like, for me, if I'm having a bad day, I can always go out and like get in my car and then drive. and. Now I don't have that and I've had to redefine my part of my character and who I am. Cars are still my passion. I just can't enjoy them in the way that I was before. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. Craig, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Doing fantastic. Thanks for inviting me and let's uh, get this going. Yeah, brilliant. Um, So like I say, a question I'd like to start with is what ignited your passion for cars? Oh, uh, for me, I, as a kid, my parents, uh, I loved taking things apart and my mom used to take me to this like thrift store and she'd say, you can buy whatever you want, but it, at the end of the day, it has to fit in this box. And so I would buy uh, lawnmowers or blenders or whatever and just start taking it apart and trying to fix it. Or sometimes I would be unsuccessful. So for me, cars was just the next evolution of playing with something and making it go faster. So started with uh little engines bikes and then moved up to cars bought one when i was uh pretty young and rebuilt it so yeah 
Brilliant. And is, is that is that problem solving? I guess when you as raised like that and being told that to fit stuff into boxes and, and trying to and trying to problem solve that way, is that what got you into a career of mechanical engineering, or is it something else that stirred you on that way? Uh, well, for me, uh, yeah, I just think engineering is glorified problem solving. Like it's just problem solving ad math. <laughs> like you just need to validate that you know, what you're saying is true based in reality um, that your solution will work. Um, and for me, uh, I'm dyslexic. And so when I was a kid, I really struggled with like reading and writing. It was clear math and science, like I did really well at that. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to go down the math and science route. And it was just a choice of, okay, what type of engineer do I want to be? It was never a question of, oh, should I be this or this? It was like, well, I'm going to be an engineer because I'm good at math and science. And that was, that was it. Like I, I didn't change my major really. I only went from like uh, biomedical engineering to uh, mechanical with the emphasis in biomedical and then from biomedical to mechanical with emphasis in aviation and then just pure mechanical with like no emphasis so yeah it it mean yeah just having your brains work a little differently than everyone else and sometimes that causes great strengths and mm. things that i excel at and other things that i'm just terrible and you know what uh, it's just having to accept that and work with it instead of like trying to be like a writer. That would be a disaster. <laughs> I mean, unless you really love books. <laughs> yeah. But like I say, yeah, it's, it's amazing to sort of have the um, ability to figure out what you are good at and what you're not good at at such a young age and be able to just focus on that because it's pointless, like you say, trying to become a writer if you're dyslexic is it's not going to become the best thing <laughs> and the books might go all over the place but yeah you've had a career in mechanical engineering and it's got it's yep. gone well with biomed and stuff so when was it that you decided to switch it up what what, what did you want to change about your career going forward oh so i guess it'd be easier to like discuss like my path and evolution through mechanical engineering um i first started uh in materials engineering uh, when I first, uh, my first like real engineering job was in materials engineering. And I worked on these really cool, like diffusion bonded, uh, materials and it was all this space stuff. It was really fun. Um, and I worked there, but I had a horrible boss, like literally the worst boss I could ever imagine. And it was, it was, uh, terrible. Um, but then from there, I went and started working in the Department of Defense, and that has like a lot of bureaucracy, uh, a thing that was like denied for this like huge project. Uh, there was a handrail and it needed to be like six millimeters larger in diameter. So instead yeah. of like taking this off the shelf handrail item, we had to like design this like fold up ladder all from scratch. And so it ended up costing like a jillion dollars. And it was just stuff like that all the time. And I was like, no, this is, this is not for me. Uh, this is not what I want to do. So then from there, I uh, switched to consumer electronics um, for mechanical engineering that pays pretty well and designing devices with LTE and video. 
uh, that paid really well. And uh, so that allowed me to work on my passion projects of cars and all of that. When I was like in college, I like worked as an intern on muscle cars and mm. helping to design those for cars that went to SEMA and doing a whole bunch of that. So cars were always in the background of my mechanical career. This was just a, okay, let's take what I was doing uh, for my job and switch it to what I truly love and enjoy. So, yeah. And and that, that project being, did it start off as you want to design your own engine or did it start off as I've got a a job that I'm I'm enjoying, but I really want to sort of pursue my passion for cars. So, I mean, at what point did Neutron Engines come into it? It, well, I was working on this project on the side, just like, Hey, in my free time, um, but I have uh, severe lung damage in my left lung and I have to do breathing treatments um, twice a day for about 45 minutes each time. And um, that's a lot of time each day. And I got really sick of just like playing video games or watching YouTube. And so I started working on a personal project and that was my engine. And I had really wanted to design something. And for me, designing the engine was like the epitome and ultimate goal of like a test of my mechanical ability. And I really love high revving engines that are very dynamic and engaging. And um, there's not a lot of options for that uh, as far as like a V8. And so you're either stuck with like a Ferrari or, you know, there's not much left for a flat plane V8. And so that's how it started. And my having these health issues for, I had forced time to work on it. Yeah. And then um, my project was uh, shared accidentally. The individual didn't know that I wasn't like, out there on the public and um they're like hey this is going viral i was like hey i don't even have like an instagram account for this and they're like yeah you should create one and then in like seven days i had fifteen thousand followers and it just kind of grew from there oh wow and so what was the what was the so for people that don't know what is the plan what is the engine and how does it work so it is basically um a honda four-cylinder engine and it's taking two of those engines and joining them together with a common crankshaft and it's an engine that should on in theory uh rev up to about 10,000 rpms make around 750 to 800 horsepower using honda parts uh for a large portion of that and leveraging OEM off-the-shelf components in order to make my own high-revving V8. Craig, what, why choose Honda? Because then, like you said, there are there are other four-cylinder engines that are quite good. Like, I mean, it's only recently now that you're looking at the the four-cylinder that goes into the AMG engines. I mean, that alone. Yes, I mean that that alone is something that I I, I would have thought would be a, would be an engine of choice. But why why the K24? Um. So. I wanted it to be naturally aspirated. That was, I feel like you can make any number of horsepower with a boosted engine. Like that's like, it's not even, 
that hard to make a thousand horsepower on a four cylinder engine anymore. And so if I wanted this to be something special, I wanted it to be naturally aspirated. Um, And so going with a naturally aspirated engine, you need something that flows very well from the factory and has really good head flow. And the Honda community has these great four cylinder engines and they are very adamant about their uh, engines being really good. And that was like, okay, well, I can take these engines. But I also considered like the Nissan SR20. I considered um, the 4G63 um, and a bunch of other engines. Uh, But I wanted something that was high revving and naturally aspirated that can also be boosted. And I will boost my engine. And like, that's a plan. And it's designed to be able to handle all the boost. But um, I wanted it to be an engine that was naturally aspirated from the start. So that's why I went with that. But the AMG engine is truly an amazing engine. And that four-cylinder is uh, wild and I love it. It's a, it's a good one. Oh, brilliant. And so coming away from the sort of the engines and, and the speaking of the technical side of things, I mean, what keeps you going through all this? What, what keeps you going through the challenges and the, the setbacks for all this? Is there a certain thing you rely on or is there a certain method you use? Uh, for me, I think I have, so I create like a giant like task list and then have those into subdivided tasks. And because if you like sit down and be like, I want to design an engine, it's like completely overwhelming. Are you going with this choice or this choice or this choice? And then all of those choices will completely overwhelm you and make it. So it's just like impossible to even take one step forward in a cohesive direction. And so I break it into smaller, smaller tasks. And when I get stumped on one task, I just often will pivot and switch to a different task for a while because oftentimes you need to come at it with just a fresh set of eyes. So for example, I had uh, a lot of challenges with the dry sump uh, system and having the dry sump pan being the way as close as I wanted it and as compact as it needed to be. Um, But I was just running into all of these difficulties of like flow and the way it should work and getting the O-rings and all that. And so I would often switch from that point to working on like the timing covers. And so that's like a, a really easy thing but it took a lot of time. And so switching to those different things was uh, helpful. And then being able to come back to it at a different point was the way in which I would deal with it. And then also like, this is, this is my project. This is my thing. And so I, if it takes me a little while, it takes me a little while. I mean, for a real like OEM manufacturer, they have teams and teams of engineers working on an engine design and they have millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, I don't have that. So I have to take my time and make sure that everything is as uh, like validated and as correct as possible. Because if it's off by like half a millimeter or a millimeter, it's gonna fail. And 
that's just the reality of it. And I'll have like a 40 grand coffee table and that's, that's it. (laughs) But, um, so, uh, I think that's been like how I work with things from like a mechanical perspective and how I pivot from one thing to another. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a good example for not just, not just a project, but for life as well. So if anything's ever sort of getting too much, you can always sort of take a, take a recipe. You don't have to continually push with these things. You can always break them up into their own individual parts. And let's say you're having a problem with work. You can always take a, take a break from work. You don't actually have to do work 24 seven. You can take a holiday for instance. So yeah, I think it's, it's a nice way to look at things. And what has been the most, I mean, you mentioned the oil pan, but what have been the hardest and most rewarding challenges you faced during this process? Um, for me, I, during the middle of this process, I found out that I had Parkinson's and, um, that was a lot, um, because I already have severe lung damage in my left lung. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly doesn't work at all. It's all scar tissue and it causes this buildup of fluid that I have to remove each, each day by doing these breathing treatments. Um, and, uh, that's, so I've been diagnosed with bronchiectasis and that's what this is, um, that lung damage. And then I started severely acting out my dreams, like in vivid detail. If I dreamed that there was a ball, uh, I would try and catch it and like, jump out of the bed or if there was an intruder in the home i would think that there was an intruder in the home i scared my wife definitely like really bad and i did a sleep study and they're like hey you have a sleep condition called REM sleep disorder and it's where you act out your dreams it's closely linked with parkinson's and i was like hmm okay and then started going down the that testing and then finding out that, yeah, you have Parkinson's. And um, for me, my Parkinson's journey has been far more aggressive than normal. And I have fallen a whole bunch. Uh, Most people don't fall until they're like, had it for about like eight to 12 years. Um, But I've fallen in just the two years that I've been diagnosed with the Parkinson's condition, I've fallen, I don't know, 30 or 50 times. And so, and this is not like, Oh, a little stumble. This is falling flat on my face sort of thing. Um, and, um, so my doctors and neurologists have, uh, strongly considered that I have a condition under the Parkinson's group called multiple systems atrophy. And that is uh, a terminal condition of Parkinson's. It's extremely aggressive, Um, but that you live for five to eight years and having, uh, finding out about that as a potential uh, possibility was really devastating, really sad. And so I got a second opinion, uh, second neurologist and they're like, yeah, I kind of agree with, I agree with the other one. They move. And, but good news is that while I'm extremely aggressive with my Parkinson's and things haven't gone well, um, I'm not as fast or as normal 
as MSA or multiple systems atrophy. So they're like, it could be regular Parkinson's that's just like not responding well to medication. And so that is, that has been the biggest challenge and biggest hurdle because I went from being able to drive fast cars, heel toe downshifting to not being well coordinated or smooth with my movements and to not be able to drive a manual. I cannot drive a manual in a smooth and quick manner. Um, some days I can't even drive at all. And so that meant selling my sports car. That meant changing everything. Like I was planning on building this at my uh, buddy's house, like using his CNC shop and his fourth axis and his fifth axis CNC to, okay, well, I cannot machine this anymore. Now I need to find somebody to machine this. And it meant a whole change in direction, a whole change in perspective and what it is I was doing. And my doctors still don't know 100% whether I have MSA or whether it's just really crappy Parkinson's that's just fairly aggressive. So I'm in this like limbo state and I've been there for a very long time and it's been uh, kind of hard. So I think finding out about Parkinson's yeah. uh, during the middle of this uh, is been the biggest setback, the biggest hurdle and the biggest challenge. Uh, I would have already had my engine block machined and, and like done by now, if this wasn't something that was like pressing in, uh, in on me. This episode sponsor is you. And by that, I mean the community you are a part of. By listening and sharing this podcast and its message, you are already helping us head in a new and exciting direction. I've created Patreon. The Patreon is to help grow and build this podcast into something more significant than the sum of its parts. I do this out of a passion, and I would love for that to be enough. And on most days it is. But I want to bring you better guests, better quality audio, and higher production quality. And if, like me, you listen to other podcasts as well, you know that the best have all these three things in common. So if you can and want to give back to the podcast and show your support, I will leave a link where you can either donate to the podcast or just show your support monthly by joining one of our membership tiers. Some of the amazing benefits include an exciting new Discord server where we can share and talk and discuss our favourite car topics, early access to content like this and more, and even behind-the-scenes chats and help from me so you can do more with your passion for cars. And I also want to give a huge thank you for those who just listen regularly and keep making the podcast a part of your daily routine. It really does mean a lot to me. And with that out of the way, back to the episode. Now, if this wasn't something that was like pressing and uh, in on me, so yeah. Okay, it's 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 um it's a real shame, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to hear that. And something when I heard about it in the first place, I was like, "You're doing this amazing thing. I'm like, you must be probably the only person that's designed an engine block from the ground up themselves." And it to have to have it be affected by your health, it seems like an injustice, to be honest. Um, but. How do you feel like it's changed your identity as a petrol head as well and as as a human being and full stop? You know, um, 
for for me, it's made me stop and focus on like some of the things that are really important. Um, my son, we go. Uh, I I'm a father, and I have a kid, and uh, he's he's four and a half right now, and we go on father son just activities and for him like one of his favorite things is trains and so we have a light rail in our city yeah and we go on the light rail and we ride that to nowhere just for like 45 minutes an hour when we just ride it and it's like okay buddy we're just doing what you want and then we go and get ice cream afterwards and so just focusing on some of those relationships and some of those things that are meaningful, uh, are really important to me because I want to do the things that he likes and enjoys as much as I can, because I, I want him to know that his father loves him and that I care about him and, and just want him to succeed and do the fun things that he wants to do as a petrol head and stuff like that. It's pushed me from being an active participator in like taking my car to maybe like a track day and driving fast and uh, doing all of that to being more of somebody that's an observer. And I still love cars. I think they're amazing. And it's something that I, I love to and enjoy. Um, but now I watch things more than, or I sit in the passenger of instead of being the one that, does that uh so that's just kind of something i've i've had to deal with but i love i'm not discriminant with my cars like it doesn't matter if it's a muscle car or if it's a supercar or if it's a little import it doesn't matter as long as it goes fast and it's fun i'm i'm there and i'm interested i think it's a good time so uh yeah i think that's kind of Cars are still my passion. I just can't enjoy them in the way that I was before. Yeah, and do you do you still like do you find the same level of enjoyment? Like, does it still feel the same, or do you, do you do miss the the odd sort of um, experience here and there? Or, or do you find that you're finding the same sort of enjoyment out of those events, but as a participator rather than a person who takes part? I, I mean, I my last car right before this I, I just sold was uh, a 2016 Shelby GT350 Mustang and it has the flat plane V8 and I would uh, rev that out on to get onto the freeway and you know hit 8200 RPMs and then shift it and that exhilaration and that just like pure sound and the pure enjoyment of being pushed in the back of your seat by an accelerating car is just for me it's it's intoxicating and it's something that's just like yeah amazing and i love driving i love driving it's just like for me if i'm having a bad day i can always go out and like get in my car and then drive and now i don't have that and i've had to redefine my uh like part of my character and who I am and that's that has been a struggle and so no it's not the same I don't get the same level of enjoyment and happiness out of it but you know I I don't get to choose this and this is where what my life is right now 
So just yeah. have to move on. So we're moving on and time being such a pressing matter in, in not just um, our lives, but especially in your lifetime, time moving so quickly. Is there, a, do you feel like a certain, a certain urgency to get this done now and this, this project completed or is it something that you aren't, I mean, aren't too worried about getting finished and just making sure that it's done properly? I, so for me, I want to get this done, but uh, for me, it's my, my challenges and my struggles are totally different than somebody else. Like I've, yeah. Uh, I have a lot of problems with my hands and with my feet and I'm in a, a lot of pain each day. And so for me, that is a problem and is, uh, slows me down. And so for, if I'm being slowed down, then I'm going to do this as right as I can, but I'm still going to get this done. Like, even if I was mm -hmm. to for some reason be in a car accident tomorrow i have things in place that this would go to these people and these things and this would still get moved out and moved along with me or without me this is still happening and i still want this to get done and i'm going to get this done and it's still my work i've put so much effort and so much time into this yeah. that this has to get done because like this also gives me like something to do each day and is fulfilling. I'm slower than I would like to be at it, but it's still fulfillment. No, it's it's also it's nice to have a purpose, isn't it? Yeah. I guess like we're, we're being human being and having a purpose is is kind of all we've got, like something tangible we can hold on to. I mean, like you say, you can have the fast cars, you can have the nice house, but really. A purpose is the only thing you can hold on to as a person. Yeah. And for me, I find a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction in designing something that I think is cool and engaging and is for me. Like this engine makes no financial sense. Like dollar to horsepower, this is dumb. Like I could have bought an L. Yeah. So I'm in America and uh, LS's. Coyotes, their engines, they're everywhere. You can go to a junkyard, you, you pick them up, and you can make, uh, you slap a turbocharger on it, you'll make 600 horsepower, no problem. Swap out their internals, now you can make whatever number you want. Um, and yeah. so, like, dollar to horsepower, this is a dumb project. But that isn't the point of this. The point of this is to make something, make an engine for me and to make something that's different. There isn't th that many flat plane V8s out there. There's the new Corvette Z06 engine. There is the Shelby GT350, but that flat plane is really weird. It's not like a true, it's a flat plane, but it's weird. Like, let me put that out there. Yeah. It is a weird flat plane and it sounds different. <laughs> And then there's the Ferraris and you have McLarens and stuff like that. But those engines are insanely expensive. And then they make horsepower, but there are people that with a K24 that have made a naturally aspirated engine that make over 500 horsepower. And so if you just, if you took those components, you could put them together, you could have a a thousand horsepower V8 that rubs to 12,000 RPMs and makes a thousand horsepower. 
So like my numbers, which seem crazy to everyone. And it's like, I'm, I'm toning it down. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing, I'm like, I'm not even going to the, to the nines with this. Like, this is an extreme motor. Like those are motor sports motor, but I'm not pushing it as far and as hard as the entire platform has been taken by the community. I'm taking it really far into that level of what's been pushed by the community, but not that extreme level. So yeah, it, for me, it's about making something that's engaging and dynamic and that's mine that I want to say I designed that I built that and that's, that, that's what it is for me. And and this is, this is a question that, um, it's just come to me to be honest with you. Has, has Honda had a say in any of this? Have they, have they text you, emailed you? Have they contacted you to say that you have to cease or do they love it? Do you have any sort of indication? Uh, they know about me. They, they, <laughs> they know I'm here. And a lot of their engineers uh, follow me. A lot of their engineers have unofficially reached out and been like, hey, maybe you should consider X or... <laughs> Hey, unofficially, I love this. Um, and it's all like, hey, but don't say I said that. And so there's there's a lot of those people lurking in uh, the background and have made lots of comments. And I've reached out to Honda directly, like, hey, I would love some support. Just like, could you tell me what this dimension is on this part at this angle? And it's like, I'm not asking for money. It's like, hey, just just tell me what this measurement is. What what's the tolerance of this? Like super like basic things. It's like ghost silence, nothing. And uh, from an aftermarket community, working with Honda proper is they're they're a, they have a history of being a little more difficult to work with, even though they have such a large community, it's not something that they uh, engage with directly very often. So I know they know of me. I know that there are engineers that are aware of me. I know their race teams are aware of me and I've talked with a bunch of their engineers. I know about some of their upcoming projects and their upcoming engines and stuff, but yeah silence so no, no no sponsorships just yet <laughs> that'd be awesome Honda, after you hear this yeah. like hit me up i would like i'd like to talk to you just like on a measurements basis like i don't need many money like, just just tell me like what this is supposed to be from the factory because that's like a challenge of mine like okay i have an engine block I have a K24 and I've measured that and I've gotten all of these things like down to like the, you know, the 0.001 millimeter and all of that. But that's just my block, my part. And so if I'm trying to design something, I need to know what all of these parts, potentially the size of them could be because that changes Mm -hmm. like the amount of oil that can flow through a tiny hole and having like 0.5 millimeters versus like 0.4 millimeters doesn't seem like much, but that's huge in the terms of like oil flow and stuff like that. And so knowing those little details have been like really hard. It's like, okay, well, I reached out to the, this manufacturer that 
works with Honda that I then was able to get their tolerances because they're like, Hey, we think this project's cool. So it's like working around Honda in order to get the information that I needed. And so just being like, Hey, you know, we think this is interesting. Here's some information. So I would have, uh, that would have been nice. It would have made things a lot quicker, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. But what is it like having all the support? from the Honda guys that are out there. I mean, there must be a great sort of boost of um, inspiration. Oh, for you. Uh, you know, when I didn't want to share my project because I thought like the amount of, I thought I'd get like people telling me, Oh, this is crazy or this is impossible. And I do have those people, <clears throat> but the amount of people that think this is, Hey, this is just cool. Or this is amazing. Or, this is actually engineering and mechanically possible is way, way, way more than I thought. And to me, it's a huge sort of, uh, of support. And like, it makes me feel good when I get these messages of, Hey, you know, this, this, uh, you should consider this or, Hey, we would like to work with you because we think this is a really cool project that you're working on. It's a company that builds parts for all of these different Honda uh, components. And it's just like amazing. And it's improved my engine. Like I'll probably uh, a whole lot, like from what I originally thought it would be to what it is now is a much better engine than I would have done just by myself. So the community has contributed and made it even better. And it's just, it, it's awesome. And I've made some really good friends um, just messaging me and us talking back and forth. And it's been really, really great. And it's a big, a big help for me mentally too. No, fantastic. And sort of going on inspiration and going on things that keep you motivated, what are the other sort of inspirations have you taken from different manufacturers or different engines in the past that have influenced this engine itself? Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to, for me, I want to make this engine as uh, I'm a mechanic as well. I used to be a mechanic as well. Like yeah. I would uh, do engine swaps or rebuild engines or whatever. It doesn't matter. I've, I've, I've done it and I enjoy it. And that was something that I cared about. It's not something I can really do now, but it's something yep. that uh, was very important to me. So I tried to think of uh, the mechanic in mind as much as possible with designing some of uh, my components. Um, so for me, that's like on the headers, having it be a multiple piece design that can slide on. And having a space so that way you can get your ratchet to the bolts without having to like turn sideways and bend your neck and squint just a smidge. <laughs> and then if you drop that bolt that you're totally hosed, you know, like some of those things are important to me because I've dropped that bolt and completely yeah. lost it and been like, well, F, like, what am I going to do now? So um, those are some of the things that have been important, but also, when I'm designing this engine, just as me, I'm not limited to the Honda, uh, like, parts exclusively. And so I have a lot of parts from, I have, like, oil uh, uh, piston cooler jets 
from Porsche. I have uh, main bearings from Lamborghini. I have yeah. uh, components also from an LS. I have lots of LS components on there. I have uh, LS engine mounts. So LS engines are all over here and everyone makes like an LS swap kit for whatever. And so by keeping the engine mounts in the exact same position, in theory, in theory, you should be able to just like plop my engine in that same space and you'll be able to bolt that transmission directly up to my engine as if it's an LS. You'll be able to use the same starter, same flywheel as an LS and it just bolts right in. And that's a huge advantage. And so I'm not limited by the Honda box. I'm not limited by yeah. any of that. And so it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's different and so i'm using parts from all over it's a like i i have parts from almost every manufacturer whether it's bmw suzuki or like just everything there's like a component from there somewhere it's almost like it's it's incredible i mean i didn't even think of the ls things that that's an amazing sort of adaption you've taken and say well, it's one of the most mass-produced engines in America. Let's make it easy to swap into any car because, you, like you say, all these people create kits. Yeah, and so it's just like a a thing that for me, I want to. Okay, if I want somebody like my engine, a billet engine is very expensive, uh, but if I can get the volume out of the first few billets uh, engines, then I'm going to make a cast engine block. It's going to end a wet stump. It's not going to be a dry sump because dry, dry sump is like super racy and much more expensive than what that average everyday user needs. Um, but I'll make that. But the tooling to make a cast engine is very expensive. And it's very difficult to change that once you've started something. Um, so that costs a lot. So I need to verify and validate with a billet engine that's expensive, but I want to yeah. also make a cast engine that is cheaper and more mass manufacturing as possible to make this as cheap as possible. So that way more people can do it, more people can enjoy it. And I think there will always be people that are interested in putting this in some weird Thing and the amount of people that have told me what it is they want to stick it into is crazy from all sorts of different things. I'm like, okay, you know what? If you can get me these dimensions, I can tell you whether it's going to probably fit. And it, yeah. there are some wild, crazy people out there that are going to do some weird things, and I'm here for it. Like, let, let's 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 see what sticks. So. I think it's cool. No, fantastic. Yeah, and uh, speaking of mating things to this engine, and obviously uh, we'd be we'd be silly not to mention the future going forward. And I don't want to take uh, take anything away from the amazing engineering and mechanical work you're doing with the engine. But if we look at the sort of electric era that's coming and is is current, what do you see in the hybrid era, or maybe adding and adding and improving the engine with with electric technology? Oh, so I'm. I'm maybe sacrilegious or like a, a bad petrol head because I think hybrids are cool. I mean, the let, let's let's say McLaren P1. I mean, that's one of the hypercars of like ultimate uh, cars. 
the La Ferrari, stupid name, but still cool car, and uh, the Porsche 918. Those are all hybrid cars, and they go incredibly fast and are incredible. So I don't think that, you know, electricity and petrol or gasoline or whatever, that they are incompatible. I think one can complement the other and make something that's truly amazing. I, I've really enjoyed what it is that Koenigsegg uh, has done with their hybridization and making things yep. that are really quick. And so um, Honda has made uh, a motor systems assist. It's a, a hybrid system and I know it'll bolt up to my engine and I can make it work with relatively not that much work. And it's 35 kilowatts that we could make this. And that's basically uh, what was mounted to the NSX, uh, the Gen mm. 2 NSX. And so I have that in mind. And I also want to make like an F1 turbo and have an electric motor assist on that as well. So that way we can get spool times even faster and it'll be a split one, kind of like the Mercedes design. But like, I, I want to do those things. And I think I love the sound of uh, a petrol engine or diesels. I love diesels yep. too. Being in like a Tesla, the acceleration is mind boggling, but it, it's also kind of muted and it's not the intoxicating like sound experience that I love and enjoy. So I want the two together. I, I would love to have yep. a motor assist for low end torque. Hondas don't make a lot of torque, but let's be real here. And so if you can throw in something that can give that low end torque that uh, to give it something punchy at the very beginning, I'm, I'm here for it. And I think that'd be really awesome. So I, I think hybridization, I'm all for it. I think that, that can only make this really cool engine even better. And so that's like blasphemy to some people. Um, but you know what? I think it's cool. And that doesn't really matter what other people think because it's my money and my stuff. And so let's, let's do what I want to do. And I have a lot of health problems. So I care even less what other people think about the stuff that I think is cool. Like, I want to paint my car like this puke green. I'm going to paint it puke green because I think it's cool. So you know what? That yeah. that's me, and I'm I'm kind of just going to do it because it's what I like. It's it's refreshing to hear, not to be stereotypical, but it's refreshing to hear an American speak so like openly and happily about American electric engines. Because I mean, like, live the V8 as as much as I can, but like, it's nice to see that hybrid technology isn't something you're afraid of, and it's not something you're scared of. Affecting the engine, if anything, you see it as a as a Robin to a Batman rather than a a, the Joker, if they put it that way. So, I mean, Craig, what is what is the ideal car? I mean, car build that you see the engine going into. I mean, obviously, we can we can talk chassis, we can talk your own sort of build, but like, what is the the ultimatum you see this engine and maybe a hybrid transmission going into? 
So the, the thing I, I really wanted to do was uh, I really wanted to piss off Ferrari. I like Ferrari cars. I do not like Ferrari, the company, that much. Because um, I, think, I think they're kind of, they have some business practices that annoy me. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, we could talk about those, but let's say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's a whole like can of worms. Of things I think, yeah. that they've that they do and like it, it's just it bothers me. Um, and so my original plan, and this was more of like, okay, what I would do if I had I was my original plan to get this to be like seen and heard by the most amount of people and to get on the most like headlines was to take a Ferrari mm. four five eight. Uh, rip out the engine and transmission, sell those, uh, put in my engine. Or just burn them. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Don't care. <laughs> like, just get rid of it. Because the Ferrari 458 is the last naturally aspirated uh, Ferrari V8 that they made. And so I was planning on taking that and putting in my Honda V8 Neutron Engines thing in there, this blasphemous, you know, Honda thing. And uh, and put in a manual transmission because they never put a manual in the 458 because they're like, oh, it revs too fast. It revs too fast. Baloney. It, they just didn't sell any uh, fourth Ferrari 430s, the previous generation with a manual. Like trying to get a manual 430 is crazy rare. So they just did it for a business thing. And so I wanted to be like, you know what, Ferrari, I'm going to stick up my engine it's going to make more horsepower. It's going to rev higher. It's going to sound like your engine and it's going to be mated to a manual. And for me, I have a couple of friends that are into industrial design and like interior. So we were going to integrate and have this like beautiful, like uh, five axis CNC like shifter with an exposed uh, shifting element, kind of like a Pagani, uh, the Lotus yeah. Uh, Emira, is that the new Lotus? Yeah. Uh, yes, the newest, yeah. Uh, having that exposed shifter element, and that was going to be the plan, and like really stick it to the Ferrari and be like, yeah, I built literally, yeah, I, I built the <laughs> engine that makes more horsepower and revs higher, and it's made into a manual, so you can have this great driving experience, and that was going to be the plan, but like. The Ferrari, and that was going to be like my thing. I was going to paint it also like a British racing green because, you know, just just to throw another. Just why not? Why not in there? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's go. Um, so uh, that was, that was going to be the plan. Uh, but can't drive uh, a car like that anymore. Yeah. So I have to work with other people on their uh builds and i don't want to give away some of their builds and their ideas but some people are going to swap this into some 1980s like fast cars some people are going some kit car directions and some people are going okay let's just go all out and put it into this totally new thing and yeah. so there i'm having to work with other people now instead of it being something that's purely mine. I will have like a contingent, like, Hey, if you use my engine and I'm like in the area, like 
if you could take me for a ride, that'd be really cool. Like, I, yeah. I really want to, I want to experience my engine. I'm not going to be able to experience it the way I want it, but I still want to experience it with other people. And I will support them and help them, whether it's 3D scans and then creating like custom engine mounts or like helping figure out how to get it to make to this particular transmission. I'll do that. I'll make it happen. And I want to see this in as weird and as fun cars as possible. And that would be like really cool. So, but yeah, if it was pure, just me, I'd probably stick it into like a 1980s, uh, like Route B like style rally car. Like for me, I love 1980s cars. So boxy and square and they're like kind of ugly, but like, totally retro yeah. and cool and so i'm like that's like really cool like uh imagine uh like uh a lancia delta integrale evo 3 like that's that's like a, a really compact like hot hatch thing mm-hmm. and it all-wheel drive and you know, fitting my engine into it would barely like fit and it'd be stupid and it'd be like this totally weird thing, but that would be so cool. And I, yeah. And you could put like the Nissan GTR transaxle in the rear. So that way you have yep. the engine as close to the firewall as possible. And you have the transmission back there and then it, you have a drive shaft going forward. So you could keep all wheel drive. Yeah. Like that would be like, that's what I would build if I was just building it purely for me. And that was like one of like (laughs) engine number two build, uh, like, (laughs) but yeah, that kind of got like, uh, kiboshed. So, you know, oh, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. There's a lot to say, but there we go. So that was the plan. And then sort of, yeah. It's a brilliant plan, and I mean, if if it was me, I think I'd, I'd if I had if money was no object, I'd I'd make a hybrid version. I'd stick it in a two fifty GTO. So I mean, there is there is that as an option for those listening that want to take credit, take it and build it. Because I've got the money, unfortunately. So <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, yeah. I like the two eight eight GTO a little bit more, but that's that's me. Uh, but the two fifty is a very beautiful car, very smooth and. Uh, I would love to see some people throw this into Dino. I mean, that's not proper <laughs> Ferrari, but I think it's beautiful. And you know what? Mm. Well, I think that'd be cool. Um, I love the Lotus S1, like uh, the yeah. Esprit. Like that would be, uh, oh, that's so boxy. Like black and gold. And wedge, wedge cars, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that one would be awesome. Um the old the old seventies um Jim was it Jim Clark livery on it or something like that yeah yeah just chucking the black and gold yeah and Craig um I know we're coming towards the end here but there are some questions I like to end the end the podcast with and the uh, yeah go ahead the first one of those first one of those being what is your ultimate three car garage oh that change was like weekly uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like that is a a thing that. Uh, uh, it 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 changes all the time um and for me i can't leave things like stock and like alone um so i i have problems <laughs> uh so i don't know let let's say 
okay, money's no object, ultimate three-car garage. I would have yep. a, a Lancia Delta uh, probably in there. I, I really love hot hatches. I would probably have something along those lines, like a boxy 80s style hot hatch that had some crazy engine swap, maybe from like an Audi S, uh, uh, RS3, you know, five-cylinder, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah doing something along those lines. Uh, I love a lot of older cars, but I think a lot of older cars don't make that much horsepower and they're not that fast and a little disappointing to drive. So you, you got to make some changes. Um, then I also love old muscle cars, like old muscle cars is what I started with. And um, that has like a special spot for me. Um, so maybe a 1968 Dodge Charger, or I would, uh, it often switches with a 1971 uh, Plymouth Barracuda and okay, yeah. uh, go with that. Um, but I would not, I would, I would do all sorts of stuff to that. And then you need to have like a sporty exotic car, the Carrera GT on there. Uh, but uh, I've had the experience one of my friend's dads bought one of those. Uh, he didn't tell his wife. He just came home and he's like, hey, I bought this. And he, they had a ridiculous amount of money, but uh, they, he just came home with this car. And it just sounded so amazing. Yeah. Um, that, that would be really cool. But the, like shifting into first into that car is kind of weird. Like you, you, it's this weird clutch system and it's kind of weird and uh that 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 kind of bothers me um so i would probably do lexus lfa but i would try and figure out a way for me to manually swap that car um i know it comes with a single clutch uh transmission yeah but for me i like the driving dynamic of a manual and i would want i love v10 sound like that sounds just amazing to me and that's my favorite engine Mm. sound so i try and figure out an lexus lfa and figure out some way to manually swap it because i think that would be the ultimate experience it's not i'm sure you can find some (laughs) yeah yeah, but it's just you can make it you can make it the fastest car if you really wanted to yeah um uh, but for me it's just you know let's let's make it fun and exciting and what fun and exciting is, is different for everyone. Uh, I love, uh, Masa Miata. It's a fun car. It's great. And you know, it, you can have fun with cars at all levels. I don't care if it's a, like a, one of the best cars ever that was just like a, a really fun experience in a car for me was driving a geo Metro three cylinder, like off-roading we took this thing off-roading and it's a it's a it's an economy car and it is, has like zero ground clearance but we thrashed that thing in the desert and it was a, a ton of fun there were four of us and we literally got it yeah. high centered on this like sandy part and we're like okay what do we do i bet all four of us if we lift it up we could probably lift up one side of them and throw some rocks underneath so that's what we did. We threw some rocks underneath it and then we were able to get it out. But that was just like the funnest driving experience. And that was like this crappy, like 
car that was worth like maybe $500 that you pay somebody to take it away from you because like it was a piece of junk, but it was so much fun. And so I think just having fun with cars is, is the main goal. I don't care what it is and uh, just have fun with it. Yeah. I think speaking of having fun with cars, I mean, if you had any car and you could take it on any road or any track, um, what would you take and where would you go? Ooh, uh, for me, I like canyons. Um, and uh, so there's some canyons outside of LA that are really wonderful. Uh, and you could go and do that. I have never done, uh, like, there's a famous road, uh, the Tale of the Dragon. Like, I've never had that experience of driving that. It's supposed to be awesome. Don't know. Haven't tried that one. But I'd probably take that one and throw me in a Porsche GT3 RS. Like that's like the most, like, I know it's the go-to answer that everyone is going to say, but that, that car is amazing on track and having driven it on track, uh, it's incredibly capable for just a stock vehicle. Like, I think if you took Mm. that car now and went back like 20, 30 years and you enter that into like a race, you would probably win that race with a factory car, which I think is just insane. Like the the yeah. amount of speeds that you can go into a corner with that car is just incredible. And it doesn't have that much horsepower, like comparative to like some of these SUVs that have like 700 horsepower or whatnot. This is, you know, in the 500s, it's not that much but it's so it's a very engaging and a fun car to drive and so i would go with that brilliant and if you had any advice to give to a budding engineer or a budding mechanic what would it be um i would start with creating a personal project like portfolio And I would be taking something, I don't care whether it's like a stapler or anything, uh, basic, maybe scissors, model it in CAD and run some simulations or uh, run some simulations on it. And then like say how you would tweak the design. You don't even necessarily need to make it, but like, how would you make it lighter? How would you make it stronger? How would you try and do both of those things compared to this stock design? I don't care what it is. Like if you could go and show a a potential employer that, hey, I designed this and here's all of the engineering principles that I applied to this and here's how I would make it better. And this is the math to back that up. That'd be amazing. Like most engineers entering the field don't have that experience. They don't know that you can't put like a sharp corner in an edge if it's going to be CNC because a tool cutter can't get in there. Like if you can know some of those uh, like tips and those tricks at the beginning, because you've worked on it from a personal project sort of standpoint, I think that's mm-hmm. amazing. If you can get uh, in America, we have uh, formula SAE. It's a, a part of like colleges and you build like a little mini race car and you take it and compete up against other, other colleges. I don't know what's available in other parts of the world, but doing something like that is uh, 
a lot of applying engineering principles to make something go faster, I would try and go down that route. But having a personal project and then messing around with like 3D printing to show and verify your results and things like that. That's what I do. No, brilliant. So just just get get the um get the practical practical experience out as possible, basically. Yeah, and just try and you can get the software's free now. Like you can like play with CAD now, and it. Sorry, that's my dog in the background. Um, <laughs> that's right. um, and the the CAD's free, so you can start playing with it now, and you can find software uh, and simulations that are. Uh, free or of low cost. And so you can start messing with that now and start creating that now. And so I say, start playing with the the stuff, start building the things that you think would be cool, but you need to start at at the beginning. And if you're like trying to jump in and to design a full engine, that's going to be overwhelming and it's going to be really hard to design that in CAD but start with something small, something basic, and then build on those skills and so you can get higher and better with CAD. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. And, and lastly, Craig, if you could pick one thing you love about cars or anything you love, what is you love most about cars? Uh, for me, it's driving it and driving a car fast to the point where everything else you're not thinking about you're you are just going and trying to figure out how quick can i go without the tires breaking loose and how uh what point do i need to shift and to be able to apply the most amount of power when you get to that point i don't care whether it's in a Mazda miata or in a full-blown track car um that is that that's pure to me like that that is intoxicating that is like a drug for me and that is yeah. the best and i love that so that yeah, point brilliant. yeah it's uh, i think it's, it's certainly something something I, I agree with that you just you lose all sort of um worry goes and it is like it's like a, it can be a sort of therapy in a way that that feeling just to clear just clear your mind and, and get rid of the uh, a million thoughts that constantly clutter our heads every day yeah um it's just exciting so uh to be able to forget about everything else and when for me everything else is all of this other stuff and to be able to forget that that's that's pure and i love that now brilliant and speaking of pure i mean you've been so open and honest with me and, and thank you for your time as well craig it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to learn more about yourself your situation and the and the and the engine as a whole it's it's, it's a it's an amazing project and i um I, I implore anyone listening to go have a look because he's a he's doing something truly brilliant with that thank you i i i appreciate that and i just want to share what it is that i'm doing with other people if you think it's cool cool if you don't that's fine with me like everybody has something that they love and I don't care what it is and you might be into cats or whatever and that's great just do what you love as somebody with limited mobility and limited some of my choices I 
I think you should enjoy whatever it is that you love, however you love it, and just have a good time. I'm pretty. I couldn't say any better myself. Thank you. But I appreciate you having me on here and for taking the time to do this. And uh, I hope people will hear this and do something crazy and fun with whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. And Craig, where can people find you on the, on the socials if they're looking for you? Uh, they, you can find me on Instagram mostly. Um, I'll have a website coming up uh, here in a little bit. It'll be called uh, neutronengines.com. Probably launch that in the next like two weeks. And I have a TikTok that I'm about to launch, uh, but I haven't dived into that. There are a lot of videos of, of my engine and my project already on there. But it's not me. So <laughs> unless it says like neutron engines, it has like my logo on there. Yeah, it's not me. It's somebody else talking about my project. Uh, but, you know, uh, I need to get to that point. Uh, I also need to like do a YouTube. But like for me, that's like another level of something uh, that I need to do. And right now I'm trying to focus my time, my energy on building this engine and uh getting it out the door and i'll i'll do a youtube or something like that later if i can and that'll that'll be something next but um for now i'll i'll work with other people listening back to what craig has been through and is going through made me a bit emotional i love that his project was born out of a desire to do more with his spare time and it's fantastic and it's a great indication of our incredible resolve as human beings we seem to fill our lives with products and services that aim to make our time more convenient in every way and i think that is killing the curiosity uh, we need for betterment that we have as a species Craig is not only going through and dealing with a potentially fatal disease, but also making the most of his time, challenging himself with the enormous task of creating, engineering and designing a complete engine from scratch. His story is a message to all of you who are currently working on a project or are thinking of starting that idea you've had for so long. You can complete it, no matter how hard a task feels or the complexity of your current problem. All you have to do is what Craig does and just break it down into small, manageable chunks. If you get stuck, that's not bad. Use that frustration and take a fresh look at something else. It may help you unlock what's holding you back. You may think of a solution to a problem you didn't think you had. So, with that being said, I'm Harry and you're listening to the Ignition Podcast. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars. 